I'm Sir Flobojan Thunderhammer. And I'm Teflon Frosthammer. And I'm Cabbage Tidehammer. And none of those dildos are going to be here. Hi, this is Barony Vidalia. This is uh, Lord Quan Quarrel. And this is WAP. That's Women, Ampguard, and People. If Ampguard knighthood means anything, you can't knife a motherfucker and keep it. And the thing that people need to understand essentially about arts and sciences events is that your scores don't matter. Do you want a black phoenix or a white phoenix? Jeez, language, man. We're yeah, on right. a freaking podcast, for fuck's sake. All right, guys. Today we're here with Squire Kiara Everlyn, Defender of the Wetlands. Say hi. Hi. Um, <laughs> I would like to introduce Loki. Aww. The loud and the mouthy. Um, <laughs> she'll probably have opinions later. She's around. Excellent. If I had known it was a cat podcast, I would have brought my cats. Brad appears always, sometimes, yeah. <laughs> you could always let let little cat in. Yeah, kitten. Yeah. No, she's been banished. <laughs> oh, no. You have a kitten? No, a Flo has a fully aged cat. I don't know how old it is, but it's pretty old. But he calls it kitten because he's terrible with names. I, I love it. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Yep. He just calls Bilbo Red Dog. Yeah. <laughs> real simple over there. I respect that. I respect that. <laughs> he can remember Brad, but that's only because it's Brad. It's, so. it's four letters. Like, it's yeah. easy to keep up, I feel like. Yeah. All right. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Like, what do you do in AmpGuard? What do I do? Um, so I, I started playing down in Neverwinter. Um, about 10 years ago, April was my um, 11th year. Actually, now that I'm saying the numbers out loud, that's wild. Yeah, so April, <laughs> my 11th year anniversary, um, playing Ampguard. I started in Neverwinter, um, and I lived out there for for a couple of years before moving to, to the wetlands, which is basically East Texas and some of Louisiana. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, my first and foremost love of this game is is the fighting part. Um, I've dabbled in all the other stuff. Like I've made some stuff, um, held kingdom level offices a few times, park level stuff. Um, my masterhood is uh, Smith, so that's under the flame path. I've you know done some stuff with that, but um, I whack. Like it's, yeah. that's my, <laughs> that's my favorite part. Um, it's the part that um, kind of keeps me coming back when things get um, sometimes not so great. Yeah, so when you say that you do Smith stuff, is that more game design or does it lean towards teaching or a mix of both? Like, Actually, all of those. So okay. my, my Smith path is pretty varied. Um, there's event autocrating in there. Um, there's a lot of game design. There's a lot of warcrating. And there's a lot of teaching as well. So um, some of the things I've gotten Smiths for um, include running some of the House Lioness workshops at Gathering of the Crowns, which is what we're calling that now. Right. Um, love that. Um, <laughs> she put my head in and completely reset my brain. Um, <laughs> I've taught at SKBC a couple times. Um, I think my kingdom gave me Smiths for that. Um, event autocrating and, and game design. So before I started doing autocrating, I would put some battle games together. Um, and then even just extending beyond game design and warcrating was streamlining that process in my kingdom and creating 
um, a more efficient way to run games, right? So folks go to these games, these events, and they're showing up to games because games are supposed to start at two. Games don't happen until two thirty, three o'clock, and then it sets everything else back. Right. And um, and that was, I think, a problem uh, everyone can relate to for sure. And I think that was a problem that uh, I was able to solve with the help of like a really strong uh, game running team to help execute that vision. So, um, but yeah, those are just some of the things that. Um, I got for uh, that I earned on that path. That's really cool. Um, we always joke that, you know, battle games start at 2 p.m. Amp Guard Standard Time, which is right? 30 to 45 minutes after that. So, <laughs> See, and that's a self perpetuating problem, too, because if, and not if, it definitely is a part of our culture where like games start at X time. And then, you know, well, it doesn't really start at 2 p.m. I've got maybe 15 minutes so I can finish whatever that I'm doing and then make my way down to the field. And then there's rules and mustering and splitting teams and all this stuff. And then it's another half hour before you're playing the game. And right. um, I've I've run my share fair, my fair share of feasts. So to sit there and have a beautifully prepared meal and wait because they're still running games like your food's getting cold. Right. Um, all this time and effort to calculating this according to the schedule that the event runner gave us and everything's pushed back. So it's, it's frustrating for everybody, but MGARD seems to be comfortable with that. Um, and it's just a widely accepted part of our culture and it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be friends. I promise. So what are some tips that you would give or like, how did you make games run on time? When you say you're going to start games at a certain time, you start games at a certain time. Um, if people run late, um, I've got so many tips for that as well, but you run games when you say you're going to run games and quickly enough, your kingdom will know, oh, snap, Kiara's running games. Okay. That schedule she posted isn't suggested. She's going to start at 10. So plan right. according. Um, so run games when you say you're going to run games, you got to, you got to set that boundary and you have to enforce it. Um, but what do you do about late stragglers? to the game, people that take advantage of Amcard standard time, right? I mean, we gotta be patient with that. We don't know whatever reason they're coming late, right? But you try to work them in your game um, when they show up, right? No one wants to stand around and wait for the next game. You know, that could be however long. They don't wanna wait for the round to reset. They wanna jump in. Mm -hmm. So from a game design perspective, you want to build games that have easy to remember rules, something you can easily convey to the person walking up or if not you, then one of your reads, right? Give them like a one minute primer on how to play this game and toss them in. Um, right. Hand them a band and like get them in there. Um, but that's absolutely from a game design perspective. Um, and that really comes down to being able to clearly communicate the end goal of that game. Okay. Um, what about some of the more like uh, peripheral things like weapon checking, uh, rules explaining, things like that. Are, are there any tips you have for streamlining that process? Oh man, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. <Excellent. laughs> um, so weapons checking is something that can be very fluid, right? You mm -hmm. can check them. So for a couple of the, the events that I've, I've run or at least autocratted, um, weapons check for the day will start maybe half an hour before that first game. And We'll have a couple folks out there checking weapons, checking shields, checking equipment, checking arrows, bows, all that fun stuff. Um, great. So that's the first way to do it, have a dedicated time. Um, you can have a dedicated time right at the beginning of your, your day or um, maybe halfway after folks return from lunch. 
Um, but when you have walk-ups that are like, hi, I'm here for the games, what do I do? While your Reeve is explaining those rules or while you're explaining those rules, you're checking their stuff real quick, right? Mm -hmm. um, multitask, I mean, you have to. Like there's, there's really no option when you're a Reeve, right? You got a lot to keep track of. So, um, I mean, I would say those are your two biggest things. Just weapons check doesn't have to take a lot of time. It doesn't have to be a formal process. Um, your Reeves can have some flag tape like in their pocket, on right. their belt, whatever. Um, while they're explaining the rules, respawn times, objectives, et cetera, what team you're going to be on, where's your respawn, they're checking those weapons and they're tying that flag tape onto it. Easy peasy. Perfect. That's all really excellent stuff to know. So when you say that you're really interested in wax and fighting and things like that, do you have a preference when it comes to like battlefield or ditch or militia or tournament fighting? Like what's your favorite? All of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I enjoy battle games. I enjoy battle games when I like to play with my friends. Mm -hmm. um, I enjoy battle games when I get to play with my pre-husband, like on the same team. Um, but I, I just enjoy the challenge of it. I, I enjoy winning. So to me, there's incentive to win, work hard, um, know your class, figure out the objectives, go get them. Mm -hmm. uh, so I love battle gaming, super fine with that. Um, I enjoy, I, I think of the ones you listed, I think Malicious is probably my least favorite. Yeah, and me too. Me, right? Like, it's, it's cool. Just, I always like, feel like it turns into a bridge battle meat grinder and you have to wear armor to be effective. And Yeah, and like pole arms are so ineffective because they immediately get targeted by any archer, like... Yeah, all of those, all of that, all of that. <laughs> if I wanted to like put a bunch of armor on um, I and, and do militia, mm. I would go hang out with the local dad guys. Yeah, I would play tag. Exactly. And there's there's nothing wrong with that. And I feel militia games have their place in a well-rounded event. Um, that's just not my my jam. Mm -hmm. um, I would find other things to do, but other people do like that because it's the militia that takes out the magic, but they still get to get their armor on and, you know, do archery and all that other cool stuff. Mm -hmm. but that's that's great. Um, but yeah, tournaments, tournaments are fine. They're fine. Um, <laughs> ditching is probably my favorite. I love ditching. Yeah, I love ditching too. <laughs> yeah, I saw a quote on your, your Amped Wiki that was really great. Is It's not it. murder if they are delaying your ditching. Yes! <laughs> Gosh, that was, that resonated with me. That's not even my quote. So... <laughs> There many, many moons ago, um, back when I was playing in Neverwinter, there was a player there and her emperor name was Saint. And we were, I don't remember, we were talking online or something like that. And I was just like, these people are messing with my ditching. They're, I think I was, I'm not going to say what I was complaining about because the thing that I was complaining about is objectively good for Amcard and I'm not trying to crap on anything, but I was, I think I was frustrated that the ditching wasn't starting when I thought it should be starting. And I was like, I'm going to go in there and I'm just going to be, I'm going to kill everyone. So we get the <laughs> stitching started and just start hitting them. But you know, it's murder and I'm not trying to catch charge. Some, some, whatever, I was talking crap. And Saint's like, you know, it's not murder if they're delaying your ditching. Like that feels justified. And I was like, that's absolutely justified. You're correct. Yeah, it's a crime <laughs> so, of passion. Like exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like I can't be held accountable for this. So, um, but yeah, that's wow. That's from like my first time. Like 
early days in Amgard. So you're from Neverwinter. We're from Winter's Edge, which kind of broke broke off of Neverwinter. Um, and I know that like there's some interesting cultural things that we pick up from Neverwinter, having been a part of them for so long. Uh, one of those is really early tournament start times. Um, how do you feel? I, I'm not a morning person, so. <laughs> not either. Yeah. Um, there's, it's really interesting you bring that up. Like my, when I was in Neverwinter, um, Winter's Edge was really trying to, really trying to make that push for, for Kingdom and really, um, really driving that train really hard. Um, I joined the Green Lanterns and, you know, they were instrumental force in Winter's Edge and mm -hmm. Neverwinter, you know, a lot of the stuff that helped I think Winter's Edge finally, you know, prove themselves to Greater Empire that they were worthy to be a kingdom. Right. But for those who knew, already knew that Winter's Edge was like, was already there. But, um, but yeah, there's a lot of interesting cultural overlap, um, which is a lot of different things. But no, I just like you, I'm not a morning person. I don't want to get up before before nine for a tournament. Like, and I don't usually stay on site. So like, yeah. I'm trying night's sleep but I'm trying to get to site on time and have time to warm up and drink my coffee and you want and we, to start and we midnight ditch the night before too right exactly yeah. so now I gotta now I gotta pick like that sucks, that sucks. <laughs> so no I I would say and I know never winter well, at least back in the day there were like five or six categories and they mm -hmm. were concerned that all day to, to it's still that way we still have the war master and weapon mastering it's like that so and it takes all day I mean mm -hmm. It Pretty takes much. a lot, a lot of it. <laughs> so okay, yeah. It used to be. I remember our mid rains. They would, you know, fun stuff Friday night, and then Saturday was an early start to a tournament, all day tournament. You break for lunch, but like all day tournament, and it would end with <clears> barely <throat> time to go back to your your cabin or tent or whatever you were staying to shower and get dressed up for feast. And like what about battle games like you can have both you can have both you can have a fun competitive tournament and battle games and a lot of the time your players from those two fighty areas don't overlap so you can totally run the two at the same time um and i i actually encourage that in my kingdom and anyone who's listening um do both absolutely do both but um that's a bummer i was, that was pretty sad. <laughs> i mean we've definitely helped cut it down a little bit by doing all of the iron man's Hmm. beforehand to to get everybody sorted and just get the brackets done generally around lunch after lunch yeah yeah and that's, that's what we, that's what I do in the wetlands when I'm running tournaments um I try not to run tournaments as much because I like to compete in them mm -hmm. um yeah, doing all your Ironman ahead of time and allowing breaks in between so you're not burning out your fighters um is the best way to sort that out because at that point you're missing a couple hours of battle games, but it's better than all day. So no, that's great. Really glad to see that's um, that's a change y'all are doing. Oh. I love tournaments. I would want to fight <laughs> in both personally, um, but <laughs> uh, see, my my personal opinion is like we do battle games at park all of the time, and like when I go to a kingdom event, like. I want those kingdom level tournaments because that's the only opportunity I have for them. And maybe that's because the pandemic happened and I haven't had a big juicy kingdom tournament in a while yeah. to participate in. 
Well, and the other problem is that the only kingdom event you went to was Symposium, which doesn't have those big juicy kingdom battle games. Right. That's fair. Well, no, I went to uh, Kazan's, the Titanomachy one. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, That's and we fair. had the big, like, Carthage battle, and that was fun, but... Yeah, I guess I haven't had, like, this... I'm... You... Everyone else knows this that's listening, but I'm basically a newbie in Ampcard. Like I played for a year and then the pandemic happened. Um, so I I only have newbie experience. Yeah. <laughs> I I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I I think the fact that you played for a year and then, you know, the Panini happened, the fact that you're still involved in doing these types of podcasts and engaging greater Ampcard in um and bringing that home, I think I think that's incredible. I, I think that really just shows anyone can make a significant contribution to the game, regardless of their time in game. So, um, I, and if you had mentioned you were new, yeah, I just like I just would have not known that. So I thanks. Um, um, I like to joke that that's the perspective I bring. I have the newbie perspective. I ask the dumb audience questions. So, you know, <laughs> no. No, I think that's great. I think that's great. Um, so no, I, I really appreciate knowing that. Now that changes my perspective of this conversation um, a little bit. So that's, I think that's cool. No, good for you. Thanks. Quan's been in much longer than I have. How long, yeah. Quan? Uh, since fall 2014. Yeah. So I've been to a couple of crowns. I've actually met you in person, but you probably don't remember me. You are the reason that I I made it into the brackets for one of the non-men's tournaments at Crowns, and then the first person I fought was you, so it's immediately booted out. <laughs> I want to say, I okay. So first of all, I have a terrible memory. So if if I don't remember someone's name, I usually remember their face, or vice versa. And with with Crown, I'm gonna blame like the altitude sickness and then like the hangovers because to me that's like a fighting, drinking, partying event. That's all I do there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I firmly 110% believe that we've met before. I bet we even had like a great, like good exchange with wax. I bet it was very communicative and friendly because that's how those tournaments go. Um, so yeah, I look forward to when we can fight again. I think that would be dope as hell. So awesome. speaking of women's tournaments and at the last, uh, WAP episode that we recorded, uh, Quan wasn't able to make it. And I forgot to ask the most important, important question, which is what do you think of uh, non-male tournaments um so my bad catnip and babine you can give me all of your opinions in the comments below but while we have you here kiara what do you think of uh non-men's tournaments and also while we're at it i'm just gonna tack on battlefield night <laughs> how much time you got you know we typically run like one and a half hours or so 45 minutes to two hours anywhere in that window <laughs> um i um i have a lot of very strong feelings about um so i guess let me preface this by saying when i talk about um women's fighting or anything therein mm-hmm. i i very specifically mean not men right mm-hmm. i I mean, non-binary people, um, people are like, well, what about trans girl, trans women, whatever. Yes. Like that's not even a question. Like trans women are women. They are women. That is, that is what I say when I say women. Um, 
So it's to me, having a women's division is that blanket, that inclusive, it's by default non-men. So okay. I guess I'll preface that conversation that that's the terminology that I'm using and I'm not, um, and I know words matter and I'm not trying to be exclusionary with those words. Um, so I guess I just wanted to- Yeah, I good preface. Saying, okay. Um, so I, I very much feel very strongly about women's fighting in airport. I'm heavily invested in that um, for a lot of different reasons, but I, I have a lot of feelings on that. So if there's very specific questions, I'm happy to answer them, uh, but generally feeling like yes, yes, and more. Yes, yes like very much yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Very much yes, 110% yes. Um, and then Battlefield uh, Knighthood, I have very complex, um, probably unpopular opinions about that. Um, okay. I fully parsed out my feelings on it, but um, I'm not super pleased with um, with some of the decisions, the, the decisions mm-hmm. that the OM made this summer regarding um, our our female fighters and Battlefield Night. So um, <laughs> that that might be interesting. Again, I'm happy to expound on that if there's a specific question I can address. Yeah, let's talk a little bit more about the Battle Game Night and then we can go back into women's and non-men's fighting. So what are you unhappy with? <laughs> <laughs> Okay. All right. Um, so here's, here's my thing. Um, and let me preface this by saying, I would love to have a more nuanced conversation in person when we can have nice things again. Mm-hmm. Um, don't interrupt my ditching for this conversation, but come find me after the party's <laughs> over. Um, I'll be hanging out and we can have a conversation about it then. Um, yes, Loki, I need your pets. Come here. Okay. <laughs> so here's here's my here's my issue with it. Um, we Amgard has very clearly spoken that they want an additional knighthood to encompass. Not even arguably, it definitively is the most important important part of our game, right? The the battle gaming, right? The personas that we create, the classes that we play, and the stories that we tell through those battle games. You will never hear me say that's not an important or even the most important part of our game. It 110% is. Um, did we need a knighthood? I'm not mad about it. Like, I think that's cool. I think we did maybe need a knighthood. I'm not sad that we spent the time and effort to create that. Um, I'm not even really sad about the qualifications for that. Objectively and in its own sphere, uh, Battlefield knighthood, perfect. Great. Happy for y'all. Like, let's go after it. My my big concern is we're turning an objectively fun part of our, our game, mm-hmm. right? People might like serving in office, but we can be honest with each other. It sucks. It fucking sucks. There's days, like, I don't know about y'all, where I've dealt with some bullshit and I've come back home, right? Come back to my, my center and seriously quit it, contemplate quitting Empire. Like, it fucking sucks, right? Being in a leadership position, having to make the hard choices and getting shit on for it fucking sucks. We treat our volunteers like garbage and being constantly put in a position where you're actively looking out for the best interests of the game and then getting shit on fucking sucks. So no one's having 110% fun doing that, right? Mm-hmm. Service is tough, but it's a tough word, right? That's a very cool popular saying. And it really is. There's a certain amount of uh, self-gratification that you get for building and contributing and growing the game in that chosen path. Yeah, you get a lot of the warm fuzzies. 
-hmm. right? The warm fuzzies and you see people having fun <laughs> because of your hard work. Like that's, that's incredible. Um, but it, it's work, it's work. Um, and then the fighting part is its own set of drama. Like that's whatever. So we're going to take, and, and crafting too is, I would probably put that somewhere between service and fighting, right? That's its own thing you built for the betterment of the game and yourself. But we're going to take battle games, the fun part of Amp Guard, where we get to like shoot each other with arrows and die dramatically and um, role play crazy goblins and um, do quests, right? In the wetlands, we have relic quests. It's this huge mm -hmm. role play intensive event. It's just, uh, Winter's Edge had Crystalline Chronicles for the longest time. That was, that's, that's incredible. Right, so we're taking these battle games, these, and we're turning it competitive. And maybe my maybe Rogue Company, Rogue Company doesn't want to opt out of being part of the competitive aspect. There's points to win. Like, let's go after it. We can have fun later. Um, and I know we're not the only fighting company that feels that way, right? We're taking something very cool, very fun, um, very engaging, and a really great way to build camaraderie, like campfire stories after about like a badass quest. Are you kidding me? And we're making it competitive and. Com Competitiveness can be fun. Competition can be fun. But there's also a lot of hurt. There is any indication of how Impart handles competitive environments. It doesn't really bode well for the best part of our game. So um, I say all that to say I don't think that was our best decision, is turning it into a knighthood. Um, because now you're bringing a lot of the unfun parts of our game to the part that's supposed to be fun. And um, I say that as someone who's warcrafted, who has designed games, who um, has done a lot, I think, in my kingdom to better our battle gaming. Not alone. Let me be super clear on that. Mm -hmm. But it, it was really disappointing and kind of frustrating to see in that my kingdom voted no for it. And um, we were one of the, the only ones that voted no against it. So this is definitely something Amcard wants, but I wonder if we're shooting ourselves in the foot trying to pursue that. Yeah. So I have opinions as well. Um, and they, they differ slightly from yours, but not too much. Um, I think that um, there's nothing inherently toxic or unfun about competition, but that there is definitely parts of Amtgard culture, which are toxic, which are unfun and they revolve around competition. Um, and I know that like at the Gathering of the Crowns um, meeting that we recently had, um, a lot of what was being thrown out is we don't want to have the same level of toxicity that we get from like our sword path into our battle games. And and I think that that, to quote uh, Sir Gillen on this one, I reject the premise um, <laughs> that uh, competition or the sword knight path is inherently toxic, right? Because there are definitely moments that I see in tournaments in like competitive atmospheres that are really great. Like people hug after intense fights and, you know, we're, we're working towards bettering ourselves in combat and all of these other things. And a, a lot of people do that in battle games. Like we have paragons that have, you know, studied the rule book in and out and know all of like the complexities of like spell interactions and like ways to, basically min-max your classes and things like that. And I think that that hard work should be recognized. 
Um, and is our battle game night proposal perfect? No. Do I expect there to be tons of growing pains? Absolutely. But do I think that it is a step in the right direction and how we, you know, handle that going into the future um, is what is really important. And yeah, so that's my two cents. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you on all that. This is such a nuanced topic, you know, so to sit there and just be like, generally, yes, and generally, that, mm -hmm. like, yeah, you can't do that. So I, yeah, I think I agree with you on your points. Competition isn't inherently toxic. And Emmercard has done a lot of, a lot of hard work, even from when I started playing um, fighting culture has come such a long way. Um, it's now more friendly and inclusive than it's ever been. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think with the right moves, we won't experience the same extent of growing pains, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Loki's here. <laughs> um, but I just, um, I, I, I am concerned because we have more folks participating in battle games than we do in competitive fighting. And the issues with competitive fighting, like the toxicity, I rarely see at the upper echelon of fighters. I see more mid-tier or folks who are aspiring to be upper tier um, that think that that attitude is still acceptable. And um, you won't catch most, like there's obviously exceptions, but most of your active warlords won't do right. that. We have two warlords at our park at Radiant Valley. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, it, do you know um, Gunn and Sir Gillen? Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, Zeb, so his current partner, Mandy, and I started at the same park. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, Serenity. Yep. So, Mandy and I go way back. Uh, Gunn and I kind of came up together. Um, mm -hmm. He was the guy with fast hands, and he was the guy to beat. He was, to me, my personal benchmark when I was trying to get good in the kingdom and I spent a lot of some of the only fighters that gave me the time of day like I, I could sit here for hours and tell you about how um god his emperor name escapes me I don't even know if he still plays but his name is Bill um yeah Bill Bill still plays he's down in Neverwinter in the triads yeah, yeah. he's the one that yeah he's the one that gives hugs right the really yeah 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 he, he <laughs> yep. um asking him for he was so nice to me um stinkfoot like would give me the most shit but he would be willing to like answer my dumb questions and train with me um <clears throat> gold the the effort that man put into to training and driving out to orlando and the fact that like he knew that i was willing to drive an hour and a half out there to to fight like him and take anything he was willing to give me at events, et cetera. Like those guys, like I have nothing but nice things to say. Like those guys were so instrumental in my fighting career. But yeah, yeah, I know Gun. When he got forward, <laughs> I was a little sad because I feel like he had a head start, but like I feel like we kind of came up together a little bit. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I was like, man, if I had just stuck it out with that guy, like <laughs> Yeah, he's he's, he's getting He's getting his sword night uh in October, his sword belt. Yeah. yeah. I'm really excited for him. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> Awesome. Um, but yeah, so those people who are at the like upper echelon, as you said, um, are super welcoming. They've done nothing but like yeah. the most like instruction and like um, welcoming people in 
my park when it comes to like teaching me how to sword fight and things like that. Um, mm -hmm. And so the way that you handle toxicity is not inherently like changing the way that our battle games would be awarded or anything like that. It's you reprimand toxic behavior and you don't tolerate it. You no longer um, allow people who, you know, are sloughing or um, being absolute asses on the field and things like that um, to get those next orders because they're not deserving if they're participating in that kind of behavior, right? And so that becomes a leadership issue and not necessarily a problem for battle game culture itself. Um, and I, I just don't think that we should hold our award processes uh, hostage to the behavior of the worst of us, you know? Yeah, and I, I agree with you. <laughs> and an, another point to really make is that not everybody is going to go and compete in battle games to be a battle game night. Like, most people, when they go to arts and science tournaments or fighting tournaments, they're going there to compete for awards. But battle games is so central to the game that people will still just be going to battle games just to battle game. They're not always going to, there's going to be a select few that are going to go there and, with the intent to, yeah, get those awards. But there's still going to be plenty of people that are just going to be like, we just want to go for the game because it's going to be fucking awesome. Well, I but, know a lot of, I know a lot, sorry to interrupt you, Quan. No, go for it. I'm gonna let you finish. I'm gonna let you finish. But um, <laughs> that was pretty much my, my last. That, that's my one and only point here that I just came up with. Um, well, I know that a lot of kingdoms have like battle game or class tournament style activities. So I wonder if we could like say, this is the major kingdom battle game at which you could be awarded your seventh or higher battle game night stuff, and then like contain it within that chunk and then dedicate the other battle games to being like more casual and fun and things like that so there's a lot of various things that could happen you know i i agree with you i mean you guys aren't making any particular point i disagree with especially as far as improving emgard's culture i mean it's going to be a leadership culture it's going to be an awards culture it's going to be a competition culture like there's all these different things um, that Amcard historically hasn't been perfect at. But I agree with you. I don't think we should hold um, our our game and progress towards a better game hostage because we've got some fucking bad apples in the bunch. Like, let's get them the fuck out. Right. <laughs> better apples. Like, um, so no, like, I, I agree with you 110%. Um, All right, let's circle back around then. Non-men's tournaments. Um, so you said yes, and all of the yes, um, but how, like in your ideal world, how would you want to see non-men's fighting and tournaments promoted or uh, ran and things like that? Um. <laughs> Hard-hitting so journalism here. <laughs> it's it's a lot it's it's a lot um here's so huh, i'm trying to figure out where to start like there's all these like 
that. Um, so a few a few years ago, probably probably four four or five years ago, which seems crazy, but you basically ignore last year. Um, so maybe even longer than that. But um, there was a lot of discussion about offering women's tournaments, right, and how that was going to look and what that needs to be. And there was a lot of pushback and whatever, right. Mm-hmm. So we've been having women's tournaments for for years, right? And some kingdoms have been exclusively, not exclusively, but they've been holding women's tournaments at their big event once a year for the past however many years, right? So when people were talking about, oh, women's tournaments are a joke, no one takes them seriously, they would point back to these old, you know, the battle days where women's tournaments were a fucking joke, like mm-hmm. literally a fucking joke. Um, and that's the reason for, for why they shouldn't have it, right? And um, some some really incredible women or you know and non-binary folks i can think of a couple of them off the top of my head that really took that initiative and we're like no we're we're gonna do this and y'all can either get on board or you can fuck off like right those are your options um so we started having um non-men's tournaments at crown at keep um Kingdom started having that and kind of feeling out their populace and seeing if that was something they'd be interested in. Spring War reintroduced theirs. Um, I don't think Baron Wars had them in the past couple years. I tried it in my kingdom. Um, that didn't go over. Um, but I know a lot of other kingdoms are really starting to introduce that. So we've been having women slash non-men's tournaments for years. This is not a new thing. And it's interesting because this isn't that long ago, but it also is. Right, and right why are we still acting like this is new and why are we still acting like we need the com's guidance on how to do these tournaments it's already been in our rule book it's already been in our rule book um in fact iron mountains specifically legislated it in their corpora but it was already in the rule book you could have Mm -hmm. a tournament you can call it a women's tournament non-men's tournament and get you some warriors that way right like this was already a thing we could do, but um, the COM this year decided that, no, they needed to explicitly tell people how to do their jobs. So that's, that's that. So this really isn't new. And I'm kind of irritated that not you guys, but the general sentiment is, oh, now we can do this. Bitch, y'all already could. You already could. Ask like the CK. They've been having women's tournaments for years. And the talent that's coming up over there is like amazing. Um, I know Dragonspine's been having them. Iron Mountains has been having them. Um, and those are just the kingdoms like I'm keeping an eye on, watching like what's coming up and out over there. Um, I don't know why we're acting like this is new. So what we need to do is we need to get our leadership on board with that. And we need to say, you need to have a women's slash non-binary term, like a non-men's tournament twice a year. Let's start with twice a year, right? Um, and get that into your corpora and get that legislated because despite the fact that it's already been a thing, mm-hmm. our leadership changes so often, right? We've got 22 kingdoms and every six months we're getting new leadership. So what the fuck? Um, get it in the Kapora. That way it's standardized. And that's that way it's always there. And you have to have it. Otherwise you're not in Kapora and you're violating the Kapora, which is like, it's not going to go on your permanent record, Bob. Just fucking run the- <laughs> <laughs> Why? Whatever. So, so what you're saying is standardized Kapora. I'm saying... Take a look at the Iron Mountains Kapora and copy <laughs> and paste that information into an amendment in your kingdom, right? Not your kingdom, but the, the king you are listening, you listeners, uh, your kingdom, and get your kingdom on board and fucking put that in your Kapora. Legislate that shit because 
clearly that's the only way it's going to get done. See, I then, Sorry, I don't mean to. Um, no, no. So, so I'm super glad that the COM, I'm not glad that they had to specify because people have been assholes about it, but I am glad that they did explicitly state that, you know, we can give warriors for women's tournaments because when I was monarch of our local park, we had one of our, um, well, actually several, several of our non-men participate in a non-men's tournament. And one of them won the kingdom level non-men's tournament. And I was told not to give them a warrior for it because it wasn't the same level or whatever. Right. Yeah. And it wasn't like it was their seventh warrior or eighth warrior or whatever. It was just their fifth. And so like the fact that it now explicitly states that I can do that, I can just point to it and be like, eat a dick, you know? Yeah. So I'm glad that that now exists so I can tell people to suck cock and balls, but um, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> but um, the fact that it has, that we had to do that to begin with is bonkers to me. So it's, it's so bonkers. And the other half of my rant, not the other half, huh? like there's two parts. There's not um, <laughs> the other, one of the other parts of my rant is that sufficient competition. Cause boy, we could have a whole podcast just about sufficient competition and Please the incredibly nuanced feels I have about it, but mm -hmm. you have a kingdom level, non-binary tournament, right? Non-men's tournament, women's tournament, whatever. And 12 folks show up to compete in that. Well, take a look at a barony and what baronies are having like folks show up for their tournaments. It's probably about the same, right? Mm -hmm. So 15, what is it? 15 members or is it 20 members for a barony? 15 Not for, for our corpora. So yeah. So yeah. I think that's, I think the wetlands is the same. So 15 makes a barony and you're going to have all 15 people show up to your barony tournament, right? Just look at the numbers is I guess my point. So if you've got 12 folks showing up to a kingdom level tournament, that's barony numbers, right? So you can totally give at least a fifth to the person who won mm -hmm. and like die mad about it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Die mad about it. Thank you. Die mad about it. Um, the other half that I really wrestle with is I do believe that you have to look at the the competition to decide kind of the level of award that should be handed out. If I came to a barony and I won a barony tournament, um, I should not get my next order of the warrior because my skill level has already been proven to exceed a barony level mm -hmm. skill level. Um, it is, to be honest, I think, past most duchies so the place where i need to be earning my warriors next would be kingdom level and i don't want to win my next warrior off of the back of fifth you know fourth and lower like that's not fair that's not fair to say um i've proven the best of my skill off of folks that don't know what a forearm rap shot is right mm -hmm. or don't have certain a certain skill level um it's not fair to me and it's not fair i think to them because i think we're not being honest about the competition level and i really want to be super clear here that that is not any sort of commentary on the level of effort or the level of competition that my opponents have provided um because i train some women that fucking make me work like if i slip up in the slightest they will wreck my shit and she's got a fourth <laughs> like yeah you know so that level of competition i think needs to be considered and that level of competition is in no way reflected on the effort it's do you have the skills to provide an accurate and fair challenge to that person 
And if so, has their performance netted them a recognition of that skill level? Um, and I hope that makes sense. And I'm happy to clarify. No, um, that makes total sense. Okay. I'm a little lost. Okay, come on. Okay. <laughs> well, okay. you, you kept equating the, the levels to like the park that they're at, but we're at a barony and we have two warlords. Yeah. In our barony. So maybe I missed, did I miss part of it? My mind might've cut you out or something. No. Are your warlords competing in your barony tournaments? Um, they didn't, we had a five and under tournament, which obviously they didn't compete in, but <laughs> typically, um, they do compete in any of the tournaments that we have available. So, yeah. So Glenn, Glenn does the same thing and Glenn's, Glenn's a wetlands warlord and he's competed all over the country. <laughs> this cat. Um, <laughs> and, and Glenn does that. And I, I actually disagree with that premise. And I think that if there's a tournament at a, at a park and you're a warlord, um, you should probably reeve or you should probably run the tournament or you should find some sparring on the side because that tournament's not for you. And that's keeping other people from proving themselves against a fair and accurate representation of the skills available in that park. So um, at a kingdom level, yeah, I'd expect your warlords to compete and I'd expect them to give their best showing. Um, but, but at a barony um, or even a, like a duchy, I, uh, I have mixed feelings about that, especially a barony, like your, your warlords, any warlord, like it doesn't have to be those guys, any warlord has no business competing in that. Um, go find your wax elsewhere. This tournament's not for you. I think I disagree with that, but I might be convinced, might be convinced otherwise. It's like, it's not a hard disagree. I just, yeah. um, I am a professional artist, so I was able to get a buttload of dragons really fast. Um, and so I've, I've competed in like Shire level tournaments where I had, when I had like eight dragons or something like that. Um, and it's because in various like times I was asked to compete in those tournaments um, to make sure that like there's people that are publicly there competing and um, all of those sorts of things. So I know that a lot of the pull that we get as um, Radiant Valley is like you can come and you can fight with warlords and you can compete in a tournament with warlords and um, have them triads. like yeah and the other triads as well um, <laughs> like we have triads. yeah the other ones they're not important um, <laughs> but yeah like we have a lot of um, very quality stick at our park that like people are very invested in coming and fighting and so I don't know. I'm not sure how I feel about like you shouldn't compete in this tournament just because you're a higher level or like at one point um, Flo was the monarch of Radiant Valley and he was already a crown knight at this point. Like, should we say, no, you should not hold that position because you already got your box tops kind of thing. So. Yeah. I, I think the, the fundamental premise that I disagree with is that all paths are the same and they're not. Um, you can earn your next warrior. Mm -hmm. I mean, by comparing yourself against the competition or through your tournament performance, which means you're constantly being directly evaluated against your peers. Um, but with, with anything in crafting, right? Anything in serpent service or leadership, you're being judged on your own merits. And um, 
I think that if Flo really wants to run for a local office and he has ideas and he thinks he can contribute something really unique, absolutely he should run because not even that he has his own box top box tops, but that leadership is and service and you know crafting. Right. They're you're evaluated on your merits and where you've improved from and your contributions to the game. And up until recently, right, this past summer, warriors were very much about your performance against your peers and like a relative skill level. And even still battlefield prowess is not so much about relative competition, but about like, are you doing cool shit? And are you learning and are you growing, right? Are you, and that's, that's super fine, but that's still about what other folks are also doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, So your, your representation to your skill is still being compared against what other people are doing, even though you may not be earning those awards in a tournament setting where it's very obvious, very, um, I don't want to say objective, but it's very clear that it's a head to head competition. Um, But those upper, upper levels, six plus, you can only get those through tournament performance. And if we've got a six and under or seven and under, right, it's very clear where those skills kind of fall out. Mm-hmm. Got a duchy tournament. Well, I feel like warlords should compete in duchy tournaments, to be honest, because of the level of awards that could be given out. But um, but even still, I the reason why I don't think warlords should be competing in barony and below is you've already surpassed that skill level. You've already surpassed that skill level. You're not being a fair competition, a fair challenge to anyone in that environment. And if if it's a properly seated tournament, you're going to butt up against a first day newbie with the warlord. And that's not fair to anybody, right? And maybe it's a first day newbie who has some like other stick experience than like DAG or whatever, but it's the first day at AmpGuard. Um, being put up against the first day warlord or uh, first day warlord, ha. <laughs> uh, being put up against the warlord on their first day isn't a fair representation of their skill. So if you remove that warlord, you're going to still have somebody else in that tournament, but that skill level is a lot lower, right? That gap is a lot smaller and it gives them more of a fair chance to prove themselves in that setting. Um, right. Like, I guess there. that sword has the unique thing where to get your first place, you always have to knock someone else out of that. Like to get your next order of the warrior, you're literally stopping someone else from winning that tournament, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it makes sense. It makes sense. And it was definitely designed to be that way. Um, I don't, I mean, we could talk about tournament design too. (laughs) We could talk about fighting culture all around. I don't know if that's right or wrong, but I don't know of a better way to objectively measure someone's skill and advancement in that sword path. And, um, I think, I think it's correct that we're evaluating that. Is that the best way to do it? I don't know. I can't think of a better way, but that doesn't mean it's the right way. Right. So what, aside from the changes that um, allow like all tournaments to be eligible for Order of the Warrior, um, what else do you think about like the changes to Order of the Warrior that just went through at Gathering of the Crown? If you want me to recap, um, we also, like, you can place in Shire, Barony, and Duchy tournaments and earn Orders of the Warrior up to that level. So, like, say you win a Duchy tournament, you can now get your seventh Warrior for that. Right. And you already could do those things. Mm-hmm. You already could do those things. So, um, here's... 
I'm probably going to get hate mail for this. Uh, this is this is my unpopular opinion, and I've only told a few folks this. So maybe mm-hmm. a podcast to General Amgard isn't the best way to do that. Um, but you know, fuck it, we're here, right? Right. So here's here's kind of my concern with the changes that they've passed, right? And um, Annette Lightning um, just made a post on the Amgard page about go recommend your friends for warriors, right? Mm-hmm. I'm actually going to grab that real quick because I don't want to fuck up the wording. Uh, bear with me like half a second. Well, I pull that up. Um, Amcard unofficial something. Mm-hmm. Right. Man, this is like where my memory like always fucks me. Cause like, and Throughout this whole conversation, it's really easy to shit on the award standardization com- committee and the work that Lightning and those folks have done. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to be super clear, like 110% clear. My concerns, uh, we'll call them concerns, with this has nothing to do with their work. The work that they put forth, the data that they analyzed, and the non-participation that they had to fight through to get that data has been incredible, absolutely incredible. The work that they did has provided real value to our community, something that our community demanded from them, demanded from them before they would take any sort of consideration for a vote. Um, That work is invaluable. And when we talk about shitting on our volunteers, like these are the volunteers that get shat on. Um, So let me be super clear that their work has been invaluable and I appreciate that. And that's why we can have this discussion. I told you she would do this. She was all like, man, I got opinions. Get on my lap so I can pet. No, okay, well, bye. <laughs> like, she'll sit there and she'll scream about it. And then well, she'll walk away. Well, I think she's concerned that, you know, we've been talking all about men's tournaments and tournaments in general and non-women or non-male tournaments. But have we talked about non-human tournaments? Um, No, we haven't. That's true. We we have not. You're being really uh, exclusionary right now. You know what we can do? <laughs> we can form a committee. And we can task them with collecting data to see if this is something that Greater Amgard would want. <laughs> I think we got a yay. <laughs> Bill goes um, burrowed under a blanket, so his opinion is null and void right now. <laughs> okay, so I found that post, and um, yes, yeah, so they were like, "Hey, go vote, um, not go vote, vote." You probably know someone who is. Re- who should have their awards leveled up to reflect the new standards. Yes, we have new standards. Get up there. Go, go do your thing. Fifth warrior, warrior can be for battlefield prowess, whatever. Anyone who earned five or more could be eligible for one level higher. And this is all with the caveat. Um, like, no one is guaranteed these, but you should recommend your friend. Like, if you've seen it, like, recommend it. You're not guaranteed, but you should do it. Mm-hmm. Right? You should recommend these people. Here's my, here's, here's my problem. Anyone who earned nine warriors under the prior requirements, which at that point could be up to duchy, right? Mm-hmm. Under prior requirements could be eligible for warlord under the current requirements. Cool. What's the problem? Well, friends, <laughs> um, Lightning has done a lot of data collection looking at why we're not seeing the same participation rates in our in our female fighters, right? Or fighters with female names, right? Or mm-hmm. names that are typically gendered towards female. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 
you know, looking at that, trying to figure out what the problem is. That's why we're having this whole discussion. That's why the COM had that proposal and voted on it. So all of this data is out there and we're all looking at it. We're trying to figure out like where the fall off is, like where this drop off is. Well, the drop off is at about four orders of the warrior, right? Back when Battlefield Pro was like, that's when it cut off. So Battlefield Prowess at four orders of the world, that's where we saw significant, like significant decline in our non-male participants in fighting. That's weird, right? Hmm. Okay. But there's still some participation and it really like just falls the fuck off is basically non-existent when you hit about eight, right? So the women, non-men that have anything higher than like nine, right? Nine, 10 warlord is basically one person, right? And it's the only female female warlord and that's like Sir Boots and it's been 20 goddamn years. Actually, I think it's been 24 years, 24 years. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Yeah. So, yeah, 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 thank you. Like I'm talking with my hand, <laughs> like, she's gotta go. Um, so looking at that data, how are you gonna sit there and be like, yes, we've solved the female fighter problem. We can make more female warlords when we've got that, right? Anyone who's earned a nine under the previous system could be eligible for a 10 or a warlord. Like go recommend your friends. The only people that benefits are men. And so, so we're going to make more male warlords before we solve this problem of mm-hmm. not having any female warlords or non-men warlords. If you tell me that some person who got their like up to nine and 10 in duchy level tournaments and has never beaten a warlord is going to get their warlord before women have gotten theirs, I will, I, I'm very unhappy with that. Like mm-hmm. that's completely inappropriate. That's not solving the problem. That's catering again to the status quo, the same people that built this system that are benefiting from it, we made it easier for those people to get that award. We didn't make it easier for non-men, we made it easier for men. So that's that's my soapbox, that's my soapbox. That's why I'm probably extremely most unhappy with those changes the COM brought down because mm-hmm. they didn't solve the problem. They didn't even try to solve the problem. They didn't even kick the can because then at least they'd be acknowledging the can. They just sidestepped it and we're like, yes, the one that makes more dudes, warlords, let's do that one. So how would you recommend making more female warlords or non-male um, warlords? So I, I actually deeply, deeply dislike that question because I'm, and it's not your fault. You don't know this, like nobody knows this. So, um, that answer is going to vary depending who you ask, right? You could ask me that I'll give you what I think should be done. You can go ask, um, you know, the top female fighter in your, your kingdom and you'll get a different answer from her. You can go ask the best like fighter period that, you know, and you'll get a completely different answer anyways. And it's further compounded because the top fighting, you know, tier in AmpGuard is divided on what that should be as well. So there's no consensus. And ultimately, as pissed off as I am about it and as much work as I do to advocate for that change, it's not my problem to solve. I can come up with a solution and I can come up with what I think is right. But this is a problem that the community needs to figure the fuck out and work together to solve it. And 
it's not on me to come up with a solution for MCAR to, to accept. I will say, having said that, that I do have some work, like some projects on the side, and I am working with people to try and find something mm-hmm. to put forth. But to have that expectation put on the, in this case, the oppressed minority is bullshit. And, um, and this isn't, I apologize, this is a very, very strong feel. And this is not directed to you because- No, I, I understand. Known that. This is, okay, this is me not being able to temper my very strong feelings and telling AMCAR to stop asking your female fighters to solve the problem. Like work with them to find a solution, but don't ask them to solve the problem that that AMCAR community fucking created. Mm-hmm. No, that's a very good point. I'm actually really happy with that. So here for it. So here okay. for it. I'm a little, I'm a little mad. I'm a little mad. Right. I've had, I've had feelings about this since July when I saw those proposals come through. Um, like every time I see or hear something about it, like I literally have to physically remove myself from that conversation because I'm so mad about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, but like, I'm, I want to be productive and I want to have a, a healthy conversation. Um, so like it's, it's okay to be emotional about something, especially that d- affects you, affects your friends, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But it's also important to be like solution oriented as well. And so there's no reason that those things have to be mutually exclusive either. Like you are definitely allowed to be angry about something that you should be angry about, you know? Yep. So those are my complex feelings with the current system. And yeah. really, I've had some folks already reach out to me and be like, oh, you know, under this new system, they want to give me X level. And I don't know if I'm good. If you want to accept that. Yeah. Yeah. And um, to me, your fighting journey is your own, you know, and I think that's where it definitely overlaps with the other paths. Like the journey that you take on that path is your own and you are the only one that can decide for yourself if that work is good enough, right? If that work truly represents the skill level that you want to display. Um, We see it all the time with service, especially like with crafting and event running, leadership, right? Like you put forth 110%, you give your all into this event and there's nothing left except like you're completely burned out at the end and then have someone come to you and say, well, I don't think that was good enough for your seventh. So I'm not gonna recommend you, but here's what you can do next time to improve. And I feel like murder in those cases is justified. Um, That's not for that person to decide. If they don't wanna recommend you for it, like good, fuck them, whatever. Um, But that work and that effort that you put into something like that does not go unnoticed. And it's up to everyone. It's a community effort, but it's also up to leadership to, you know, offer that. And it's up to you to decide if you want that or not. If you think that seventh level for that kingdom level event that you did, right, whether you ran it or you showed up and you placed second in a kingdom level dragon master or you placed second in a tournament, whatever, right? If the work that you put in is truly best you could do and fully representative of the skills you want to display, that's, that's, that's a choice you get to make. That's a choice that you get to decide for yourself. And if it's yes, take that fucking award. If it's no, then you get to decide, you know, is it really not a true representation or like, is it societal pressure to not take it because I didn't accomplish X, Y, Z that they think I need to do. So no, that's bullshit. That's what (laughs) I was. That's toxic bullshit. 
I've, I've been having this conversation with some of my friends. Um, it's that like, what makes my, we'll use dragon because that's the path that I'm on, right? What, what makes my seventh dragon isn't what makes someone else's seventh dragon isn't what makes, you know, Cindy Lou Who's seventh dragon, right? Like we're each on our own um, path, as you said, and like the improvement between my sixth and my seventh and the improvement between whatever's sixth and seventh are going to be different. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. The reason that the um, paths are kind of um, ambiguous in many cases or up to interpretation in many cases is because like, it's supposed to be, <laughs> you know, like it's, it's a measurement of your journey or your, um, contribution or whatever. And that is going to vary from person to person based on their skill and their, um, output and things like that. So. Yeah, I, I mean, absolutely agree with you. Oh, geez. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I think at a certain point, like once you reach kingdom level work, like seven and higher through masterhood, I think there's certain skills that need to be displayed, um, before granting masterhood but mm -hmm. at the same time like just because i made seven tunics doesn't mean you have to make eight to get your next level right mm -hmm. that's ridiculous um or even requiring that someone make tunics for a garber garber is not exclusively tunics friends um it's not exclusively applique there's other ways to demonstrate those technical skills in that garber path so you want to make sure that your people that are being elevated to kingdom level work and recognition and eventually masterhood do have those skills, but I don't have to display my ability to make a French seam on an applique tunic. I can make some really baller court guard, or I can make some really baller complex, super comfy pants with fucking pockets that demonstrate all of these technical skills that you would look for in a different piece of garment. So I, I do want to, I do think there should be some display of skill competency mm -hmm. but that can be manifested in other ways. It doesn't have to be manifested with a cookie cutter expectation. Right. Plus, right. So, nah. Plus I hate French seams anyway, but we can get into that later. <laughs> French seams, I learned how to French seam before I learned how to like even use a serger. Like it was one of the first things I learned how to do. And then I tried to make a, like a fucking gusset. And I was like, this is bullshit. <laughs> this is bullshit. Like, we're done. Right. Zigzag stitch, bitch. Like, let's get out of here. Yeah, that one. Yeah. So sewing is my Achilles heel. Um, I've got five <laughs> Garbers and that's all I'm ever going to get. Um, <laughs> so, um, well, one of them was for a hat, which was felted. So it didn't have to sew. Um, that's so cool. But... <laughs> uh, I'm a horrendous sewer, but one of the tunics that I made was, um, I don't even like the edges were finished on the inside, um, differently than a French seam. And I had to go like on my write up on like a seven paragraph essay about why I didn't specifically use French seams in this one instance or whatever, because the standard is so like embedded that it has to be a French seam. And so but you know the weird part is apparently that's a very never winter winter's edge really? thing like it's not the standard for every other kingdom in amgard it's literally just us and i blame never winter yeah it's all your fault yeah no absolutely like that was 
that's exactly it. It's really interesting. This like shared experience. So I was learning to make garb like y'all, I need to show you my first tunic. Like, what is this? Um, it's still in my closet, but like, like I learned how to do French seams because that was the expectation. If you want to be good at garbing, right? Good at garbing and never win. And you want to be recognized as such, you better be dropping French seams on everything. And to do a flat felt seam was a little different, but like, I guess it's okay, but it's a little different. And yeah, that was it. Like if you wanted to surge your stuff, like that better not be the norm. That better be like a one-off. You better be. Yeah. Yeah. Nope. I know it's, it's crazy. Wild. <laughs> Did, I didn't realize that it was just an us thing <laughs> until this moment. <laughs> no, I, don't have, knowledge. I don't have extensive like ANS experience across the game, but based on my experiences in like in Texas, finished seams are an absolute must, but you're given a lot more leeway in what that looks like. And in some areas, a straight stitch with that zigzag stitch and trimming your loose threads is more than sufficient. So it's very much a never winner thing. Mm -hmm. It's not a bad thing, but it's very much a never winner thing. Huh. Yeah. The more you know. Yep. The more you know. Wild. It's wild. So, it's so wild. So you don't do much ANS, but then you talked about all sorts of tunic stuff. What do you what do you like to do? Um <laughs> so I also have five garbers and I would say about three of them are for my macrame work. Oh, um, okay. So I've, I've done a fair amount of work. Um, I've made a tunic, I've made some pants, I made a skirt for court. It was one of my first guard pieces at my first event. I was, oh my God, it was the Neverwinter summer event, which is like always in August and it always fucking sucks. But I've been playing for three months at this point, and I'm sitting at gate. This completely, I've been playing for three months. I'm sitting at gate with one of my other park members, hand fucking stitching these um, the bottom uh, the bottom seam. Right, I'm trying to do these like hidden stitches so you don't see them. Hand fucking stitching this bullshit, and it's it's a very full voluminous skirt and this really pretty maroon satin, but like hand stitching this fucking skirt at gate so i had something pretty to wear the next night and like if that's not some ans bullshit like i don't know what it is but i looked really cute for my first court i'll tell you that like i was real the, the first dragon master <laughs> that i ever competed in was the one at symposium 2020 um right before the pandemic hit and um I was doing these uh, graphite drawings of like various knights and um, I <laughs> was drawing one and the competition, like you had to submit everything by 10 a.m. And I was putting the finishing touches on at 930. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. I did not sleep the night before. Yeah. <laughs> not like it. But I feel like that's a, that's like a traditional ANS like thing, mm -hmm. right? is kind of that is what you have to go through if you want to pay your dues in ans like you got to pull at least one literal all-nighter before a big tournament like that's you got to pay your dues and that's one of them yeah yeah so. it's a universal experience yeah. <laughs> yeah for for my first ik event uh i was still in the car while we were driving up to known world war 
I want to say two or three. Um, and I was hand appliquing on a, a winter's edge snowflake onto the tabard that I had just finished uh, because we were trying to, to push for kingdom and I needed something winter's edge to wear. So I sewed together a stupid snowflake and cut it out and I was hand appliquing it in the car while we were driving up. <laughs> it was oh awful. I've tried embroidery in a car ride. Actually, it was my first trip to, this was like my first Crystalline Chronicles. So it was one of my first trips to Neverwinter. I'm in the back seat trying to embroider some shit. Sucks. Sucks. It's awful. It's not good. Not good. Yeah. <laughs> Loki agrees. She wants me to let her out. I knew as soon as I let her out, she's going to come scratching at the door and make a fucking racket. <laughs> It. no you gotta deal with it yeah <laughs> so you mentioned that you also do leadership what does that look like for you uh it means not doing it anymore <laughs> um i did i did park leadership so when we reverted to crowns a couple years ago mm -hmm. um, my kingdom basically put out a survey where you self-reported all all leadership at every level um so i reported local offices held kingdom offices held bod offices held uh service on nik level different committees i participated in different committees that i led um just fucking everything and i got i want to say seven or eight crowns off of that so i would say my experience is pretty varied um at every level um which is cool i think i think it's something everyone should do at least once but um, I just, I got burned out on it. I got super burned out on it. Um, and I really feel like if you're not doing what's fun for you in the game, then quit. And it wasn't fun for me. Um, I feel very strongly about, you know, our leadership and our leadership goals and our policies and responsibilities. And I'm still an advocate in a lot of respects for a lot of those different policies. Mm -hmm. But it's it's not even that it's not fun. It's it's actively detrimental. Um, and I think in and it's not even that leadership is hard for me. I have leadership in mundane organizations and community service and like all these other exact level positions at every level since college. It's it's amp guard, my dudes. It's amp guard and. Um, I made a decision a few years ago that um, the best that I had to offer should go to an organization that would at least reciprocate in kind. And that wasn't AmpGuard anymore is kind of what I decided on that. And um, I mentored two extremely talented women um, that still find joy in leadership and I'm 110% on board with that and advocate and support them in those endeavors. Um, I just know that's not something I can do for myself anymore. Yeah. Well, we treat our volunteers like shit, like objectively. We oh, harass garbage. them and bully them and it's just bad. Threaten them apparently. Yeah. <laughs> so I definitely understand why you would not want to do leadership anymore. Um, I found that there's also a... Because um, I've I've also done Park and Kingdom leadership. Um, I was KPM last term, um, 
and then I've yeah. been park monarch and regent for a couple times. Um, but I found Early. that there's a huge difference in the support structure that happens at park versus kingdom level. So like, you know, when you're servicing your park or whatever, and um, you do something cool or whatever, you hear back immediately like, oh, I really love that. Thank you for doing these things, blah, 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 blah. But at kingdom level, that like positive reinforcement just does not exist. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. like, no matter what you do, there's always something that you missed. So. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it, the fun seems a lot less at that level. Um, it feels more political and more um, malicious. Um, and I, th I think you can go into it with like a strong support group, a really great rain idea and lots of cool things that you want to accomplish during your rain. And there's a lot of things that will just completely sap the energy and the joy. And I think for someone to continue doing leadership, knowing that and enduring that, um, those are, those are rare and we don't deserve them. Like we don't, as an organization, do enough to protect and encourage our volunteers. We don't give them tools to succeed. We don't um, give them support. Um, we don't do anything to set them up for success. We sell them on this idea that, oh, you know, be monarch and have a cool reign and be super excited and then get a crown belt for it. And <laughs> that's not what we deliver. That's not what we deliver. Um, it, it's, it's not fair. It's not fair. Yeah. And the amount of work that goes in behind the scenes that no one ever sees yeah. is immense. It's vast. And then the work that they do see, they just want to poke holes in and complain about. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, enough bitching about leadership. <laughs> but I, I did want to ask, so according to your wiki, you were the first female champion in the wetlands. Yeah. And you also got your defender title from it. So that must have been a pretty awesome run. It was, it was incredible. So I was, I'm so proud of that. Um, I, man... I'm trying to figure out like where to start. To me, it was another, so in the fighting community, we, we talk about how like the mountain to the top, right? And that climb and that journey. But I really feel like it's not a linear, smooth progression up to the top of that mountain, right? It's more like you're climbing like a series of mountains, like little mountains to get to that top. And sometimes you're reaching like a milestone where maybe you win your Shire tournament. That's the peak of that mountain, right? Maybe you get a summer internship and you can't fight all summer. You come back a little rusty. Maybe that's a valley, right? So you've got these peaks and valleys that are, I think, are more representative of your journey to the top. And one of those valleys was one of the myriad of injuries that I've accumulated over the past however many years. But I tore my ACL at Keep in 20. 14, I think, and um, 
that was that was my cat. Um, that was that was devastating. I was out of fighting for nine months, and to be able to come back after that journey, um, place second in a kingdom level tournament, and then less than a year later, enter that champions tournament and beat. I think like four other dudes had like come, you know, declared right. And in the wetlands at that time, it was by right of arms. So the per and I think everyone <clears throat> was like this for the longest time where you had a champions tournament and whoever won that tournament was your champion and um, kingdom level champion. And for the longest time, the triads held that down. Like that was, that was a thing. Like if anyone was winning this tournament, it was going to be a triad, no mm -hmm. one else. Um, and I don't know if it's still like that, but I think um, Neverwinter still does a right of arms, but winter's edge does not. Gotcha. It's an election. So yeah. Wetlands has changed to an election a couple years ago as well. Um, but yeah, so I entered this tournament, um, at Qualls with like four other dudes that had also declared and, um, and I, I, like I beat them. Um, actually that was the tournament I placed second in. I'm getting my, my dates fucked up. I had come back from my injury and took second in that tournament and that was the champions tournament. So I beat all these other dudes out and placed second only behind the warlord. And that was probably one of my coolest fighting accomplishments, like fucking ever. Um, but yeah, they've since changed it. So I don't know. I don't can't remember if we've had another female champion since, but I'm the one and only by right of arms. Like I had to literally fight all these other dudes and I fucking won that shit. Like, That's amazing. First it was of all. So, fucking, <laughs> so fucking cool. That's um, super awesome super pleased with that and i did a lot of really cool stuff as defender i really enjoyed it it was a door frame and i got to be in this monarchy team with a couple of my closest friends and we all had fucking like yarn beards <laughs> um it was so fucking cool and um yeah i guess they thought i did a good enough job i got a metal laser engraved award with my defender on it so it was it was pretty dope that's awesome. Yeah. That is really cool. Do you get um, like a special, I know in Winter's Edge, we have the Winter's Edge snowflake with the sword underneath for all of our defenders to use. Do you have like a special symbol or anything like that? No, I don't have a special symbol or anything like that. Um, I I do, I do get a title. I got a title from that, which was pretty mm -hmm. dope. Um, Let's see. And I got to carry around our kingdom sword for that reign, which nice. was pretty dope. It's, let's see, I'm five, I'm five, seven. So it can maybe a little over five feet tall, but it would like come right up to my shoulder and uh, I'd carry it around and be like, look at this giant sword. It's bigger than me. It's this great sword. <laughs> so cool. So cool. Got to stand up there at court with a big sword. Like, oh man, I'm going to bonk you with it. First of all, I'm so glad you mentioned how tall you are. Um, <laughs> We have this one watcher um, who is also a park member. Do you know Subway? Um, Jay? <laughs> yeah, so he always complains that um, me and Quan talk about our heights too much. Um, but I, I feel like it's uh, it's one of the things that make like female fighters, one of those hurdles that we have to overcome is that we're shorter typically than most people. Uh, so we talk about when we talk about fighting, we talk about our heights a lot. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I'm five nine ish, five ten. Quan is five two and 
I believe in you. Three quarters, five, five eighths. eighths, five eighths. It's very important. I have to hold on to that. That one eighth keeps me the tallest of my. That's how you know they're qualified short because they know their height down to the eighth of an inch. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I just wanted to highlight that we're talking about heights again and fuck you, Subway. <laughs> Take your criticisms and shove them. Anyways. Well, I mean, he's fairly tall. I, I, I mean, it's been a while since I've hung out with Subway, but like, I feel like he's like five ten to six feet. Like he's, he's, he's tall. Yeah. 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 So like, and even when I was active in Neverwinter and Winter's Edge, like, and I would be hanging out and fighting with these guys, like he was still tall. He would be standing like four blocks over. And I mean like city blocks and still be able to. <laughs> so like, that's what I, I joke about. That's what I joke about with Flo is that, you know, he's like six foot billion and yeah. he has these long swords that he fights with and he hits you from a fucking he has, other area he, code. Like, he has long yes. arms. He has arms as tall as I am. Like it's ridiculous. It's I, ridiculous. I remember the first time I fought fair. Flo, I lined up with him and then I took a three foot step back and I did not move and he still wrapped me and hit me in the back. And I was like, <laughs> It's ridiculous. So no, I, I would say if we're going to talk about fighting, mm-hmm. height absolutely matters. I think height matters more than weight. And I think height matters more than gender. Um, so mm-hmm. if we're going to talk about splitting tournaments in any sort of bullshit categories, then we need to have a conversation about heights. But Please. we need to split them by anything other than gender. And by gender, I mean men and not men. Mm-hmm. Yes. Sure. The two true genders. <laughs> so um, when I've been getting more into fighting and my fighting experience is pretty limited because, you know, I was in the game for a year. And then um, the way that uh, Hogman put it is that I'm on the second anniversary now of my first year in Amtgard because of the pandemic. So, <laughs> um, but uh, when it comes, when it comes to like female or non-male shot mechanics and the way that like you generate power with your hips. That was something I definitely had with like a learning curve. No, (laughs) no, no, you don't, you don't generate power with your hips. No one generates power with, with the hips. Okay. That's the science. Yeah. I remember going to crown and having you and Glenn talk to us about the actual science and it was so awesome. Yeah. All right. Break it down for me. Uh, man, we—that's a whole nother topic. We can talk about that. But there's so many fighting resources about power generation and where your shots should come from. And this isn't even like a male or female or male or non-male. Like this is this is proper body mechanics. Like if you, general you, all fighters, you, if a fighter does not want to bust any of their tendons or cause any sort of pain in any extremity, you have to have proper body mechanics. Men can fake it because they have more upper body strength. So they can cheat a little bit more than, you know, non-men can. Um, And this is still in general terms because now we're talking about hormones being Mm -hmm. present or not present and different types of body fighting styles and body limitations. I'm speaking very generally, but yeah, typically men have more of an an advantage because they can just cheat with their upper arm strength. women or non-men need to be a little bit more careful in how they, they fight 
because learning those same habits will get them injured. So regardless of all that, body mechanics, your power comes from the ground. Power generation starts at the ground. It starts with a good stance. It starts with um, all of your, all of these body movements, all of these little muscles that I can't name, but everything working together in these little micro movements to um, create, right, to build out your, the shot that you're throwing mm-hmm. and you're not using your hip. I'm like, I'm going to stand for this. Okay. And I apologize for like my half-ass garb. You're fine. I'm not even in garb, so. Let me let the cat out. Get out. <laughs> <laughs> I have my pal right here. So this nice. is like Um, so we're not, we're not like doing anything real fancy, right? We're not doing a lot of like hip turns, Mm -hmm. right? We're not doing this. We're not trying to make our skirt swish. Um, that movement will start and come from the ground. So if we're lining up on someone and I'm getting ready to throw a wrap shot, guys can get away with this. This is all arm and wrist movement. Mm -hmm. Most of the time it's just wrist movement. Don't listen to that. Um, a proper shot will start from the ground and you'll feel certain parts of your body tense up as you're getting ready to throw the shot. And as you're releasing it, you're pushing off with like your back foot and channeling that power right through that movement, through that pushing off your back foot, through your, through your core, through your arm, and finally finishing at the tip of that sword, mm-hmm. right? You should be snapping and putting all of that energy into your wrist. You're going to hurt your wrist. You shouldn't be pulling back before you finish that shot, you're going to hurt your tendons up here and hurt your shoulder. So it's a full body movement that starts at the ground, not at your hips. Um, and if people are like, yeah, throw with your hips. I have a YouTube video that you can send them. <laughs> power does not come from your hips. Power comes from the ground. So I don't know who's still saying that power comes from your hips, but they're, they're wrong. And I can prove it with science. Excellent. Yes. I, you also know Lexi, right? I love Lexi. I'm belted to Lexi and she's the one who's been teaching me how to fight recently because before I was learning from all men and it was like throwing from my shoulders and my yeah. forearm and like after fighter practice, my arms would just like really hurt. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. And so eventually she was like, your stance is all wrong and do this with your feet, blah, 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 blah. And then like, I realized that after fighter practice, now my arms don't hurt. Um mm-hmm. So like changing and it's now relearning all of the bad habits that I initially had and relearning all of these like footwork and bending my knees right and following through correctly and things like that, Um, which has, if it hasn't improved my fighting, then it's at least improved my comfort. So (laughs) that's, that's huge. Like it, when you get done after a hard day of wax, you Mm -hmm. should feel your body should feel good. You should feel like maybe you did some really great cardio or maybe you did a really great set of like lifting or whatever, right? You, your body should feel good. Um, you shouldn't feel pain, right? I can, I can accept that there's some soreness after, mm-hmm. um, especially if you're drilling a specific shot, maybe your muscle's sore, but that's your muscle being sore. It's not your muscle being in pain. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, it's, that's great. I'm, I'm being in pain for fighting. That's, that's a surefire way to shorten your fighting career for sure. Bad news bears. 
So thank you for the demonstration. And we've covered a lot of topics in this episode, but what we typically round everything out with is a silly story. Um, so do you have any like most memorable or fun stories that you want to cap us off with? <laughs> um, okay. 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 Um, I, okay. So Amcar does a Florb of the year award mm -hmm. and um, I won, I think it was the 2018 2017, I think. 2017, back According check. According to your wiki. <laughs> Thank you, because I don't remember. I remember um, I remember winning that, and um, I had some tough competition because it came literally down to the minute. Um, Tice, Sir Tice over in Emerald Hills was also vying for Florb of the Year, and he had his whole kingdom supporting him. He had his fighting company supporting him, and I was like, Yay! Like, <laughs> so it came down literally to the last couple minutes, like the last minute with votes still coming in. And, um, and I ended up winning it. And I don't remember what it was that got people to vote for me. But um, when I think on that thread, when I like, like gave my full like persona name, um, one of the, the flirbiest like titles, um, is that um, Kiara is an apprentice to um, like Lord Mortis Nuntius. And if that sounds familiar, there's a relic named after him, the wizard staff. And he's an actual character that's actually from Neverwinter. And this, <laughs> um, I met this person when I first started Amgard, like, first, first, first started Amcard. And I started playing in Orlando, but I would drive down to Miami because the Miami park was super, super role play heavy. And um, so I'd go down there and I'd like role play with these guys and like hang out and go to their campouts or whatever. And Mortis Nutius was like, still like a villain and like evil and all this stuff. And this guy like never drops character, like never drops character. And um, there's, there's like a, a role play like assassin house at the mm -hmm. time and like um i managed to role play my way to be a part of their assassins group and role play my way into being mortis lord mortis nutians's like apprentice like wizard apprentice so like there's this ridiculous like backstory flirtiness about the whole thing and i don't even think miami's a role play park anymore they sound pretty stick heavy but many moons ago <laughs> they were not they were not and um not to steal uh mortis's like story but he at like some inner kingdom event where like some warlords were visiting and hanging around a campfire he ended up like he went over and just kind of like moseyed over and like was sitting down around the campfire and just like chatting with them and they all thought he was just hanging out like a little weird but hanging out and this guy is sitting here role-playing with them, like trying to be like casual and chill about it. <laughs> and this guy decides that he's going to assassinate Sir Brennan. Um, and no one was expecting this. So Mortis Nuntius of Wizard Staff fame, like fucking assassinates this warlord in the middle of like 
a Saturday night campfire. Like, what the fuck is even happening? And everyone is just like looking at them, like so stunned. Like this happened. Like this, this fucking flur like assassinated you. And everyone's like, yeah, I guess that happened. I didn't know we were role playing. Um, but everybody thought it was hilarious and like all in good fun. And it ended up making its way into the rule book, which is the most, to me, the most silly, like ridiculous thing ever. That's and amazing. It's, it's so fantastic. And when VA came out and I saw that, like I messaged him and I was like, yo, dude, like you made it into the rule book. Like, check this out. <laughs> and he had since stopped playing, but he thought it was the coolest thing ever. So, um, I was like, Hey man, I'm still like, still your apprentice. Like we're still doing this stuff. <laughs> it's fine go off and I'm like forever forever I will always be your apprentice this is the coolest fucking thing ever and nobody else knows it's been like literally 10 years since this guy was even active but fuck yes I think that's probably my most ridiculous amp card story that's awesome that's so awesome but I, I have to ask what is your full persona name then oh um it's uh, well, without like any of the, the titles or whatever. So it's definitely Kiara Everlin. Mm-hmm. And um, in the org, I think it still comes up as Kiara Sharpie, Everlin Sharpie. Mm-hmm. And that's because I was um, Dame Covina's page and Squire for a hot minute before I moved. Um, and then more took on a different path um, and, you know, picked a different night. But so, yeah, it, it was Sharpie for a minute. And now it's Everwax. I don't know where that came from, but it ended up sticking. So I'm just like, yeah, that's fine. We can do Everwax, whatever. Facebook threw a bit of a fit about it and like banned me for a while while they sorted it out. And uh, so, yeah, they're kind of grumpy about it, but I can you can still search Everwax and my profile comes up. So I guess Facebook allowed it, ended up allowing it, <laughs> which is ridiculous. But it's Kiara Everlin and Kiara actually is a pirate um <laughs> and um i guess now an assassin and apprentice to um a powerful necromancer <laughs> and i'm trying to think what else except now she's living in the wetlands and is a talented scout and i'm going to say talented because i whack good but not because i know the heel spell or anything <laughs> i i can't get the heel heel spell down it's my achilles heel my kryptonite. So. That was Thanks. a bad pun. <laughs> <laughs> one of the one of the women that I mentor, she's my uh, practitioner in our fighting company, and she got her Paragon Scout. So it's kind of like her eternal shame that I don't know the heel spell. And then <laughs> my one of my underbelt, well, actually my only underbelt, um, her name is Azu. She's a Paragon healer. And again, the fact that I don't know the heel spell, like... They've all but disowned me at this point. It's embarrassing. <laughs> it's embarrassing. And I thought I had it down, but I it turns out that I swapped bones and wounds. So now I have to oops figure it out all over again. <laughs> so the way the way that somebody helped me figure out the the body part where you're going through the heel spell is that you're working from like the inside out. So like you heal the bone, then you mend you mend the bone, you I thought close it was. The, I thought it goes. The bleeding. Close the wound. I thought it goes. Blood, bone, wound, vigor, have healed thee. See, this is this is why I just learned the block. It's easier. Stop thy spilling blood. So you stop the blood. You mend the bone. You heal the wound. 
I play barbarian, so I shouldn't know the hill spell. Anyway, I just say adrenaline. Um, I only know it because I have to monk so hard. Yes. Yeah, you need that as a monk. Oof. Otherwise, that class is pretty rough to play. Yes, I play. I play Resbot monk. It's super fun. Nice. I nice. definitely keep my inhaler handy. <laughs> I picked up Monk a lot when V8 first came out because I didn't know the spells. I'm also a terrible wizard, but I didn't know the spells. So I was like, well, if I just play Monk, then they have to hit me. Like they can't, like I can ignore everything else. They have to hit me. So it just seemed like more fun. Yeah. Easier to keep track of, I guess. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate that you took the time out of your day to uh, come hang out with us, basically. Uh, you know, um, when Quan said that they got you, I was super excited because I went and I bragged to Flo and Cabbage and they were like, oh my God, you got Kiara. That's so cool. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I've so. been so stoked for this interview for so long. Oh man, I I had fun. I I had fun. These are like, I really enjoy it just because like, um, I've done a Stab Chats podcast and it was a couple years ago. I guess it, it's wild because like the last year literally doesn't count, but it feels weird to say mm-hmm. oh a couple years ago last year doesn't count. But um, but it was just it was really fun. Hi. Um, so I, I'm really glad that you guys thought of me and wanted to include me in this because like I like these. These are fun. Yeah. 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 So awesome. thank you so much. If you have any recommendations on who we should have on next, just shoot us a PM and or DM or whatever the kids call them these days. <laughs> and send us that link for that YouTube video so we can put it with our video with our podcast episode. Yeah. Okay. All right. Body mechanics info because it's a Glenn put together a paper. There's a video. There's at least one video. I think there's a couple. But yeah, see, I'd already forgotten. So thank you for reminding me. Yes. Perfect. And yeah, we'll include that in the description. Check it out below. Like, share, and subscribe. Smash that like button. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> for all that WAP goodness. All right. Thanks. Bye, guys. Bye. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe to our podcast on YouTube or Spotify to get notified about new episodes. And make sure to follow us on Facebook for announcements and more.